Mother Teresa said, Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Today's story is about a woman who cared for the most marginalized of society, the widows. Widows were largely unwanted, uncared for, and forgotten. And as a result, our woman today took Paul's charge back in Acts chapter 6, and she seriously took care of the widows who were neglected. Today, we get to study this woman's story and discover how we, in our own way, can care for those who are unnamed, unwanted, unloved, and uncared for and forgotten. Welcome to another episode of Unnamed Women of the New Testament, a special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast brought to you by LDS Living and Deseret Bookshelf Plus. If you want to know more about the Sunday on Monday podcast, it's a Come Follow Me podcast. It's where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and we really dig into the scriptures together. You can find more information about this and get a free 30-day trial of Deseret Bookshelf Plus where it's located at deseretbook.com slash Sunday on Monday. So go check it out. I think you'll really love it. Because one of my favorite things about the podcast is that each week I get to invite friends to join me to discuss the scriptures. And it's no different for this bonus series. I get to invite one friend, and it's the only friend I want when it comes to discussing women of the New Testament or Old Testament. It's Camille Frank Olson. Hi, Camille. Hello. Okay, here we go, sis. How excited are we to discuss this woman? Very, of course. I do have a question for you, though. I want to know how you came about writing Women of the Old Testament and Women of the New Testament, because for anyone listening, if you don't own those books, do yourself a favor, put it on your Christmas list, whatever. They are the two greatest books I own. I use them all the time. How did you end up writing those? Um, The short version would be when I was Dean of Students at LDS Business College long, long ago. Sure. There was a one woman that uh, uh, there were four institute teachers at the college there, and one of them was a woman, Margot Butler. Oh, I love Margot. A sassy little Aussie. Oh. And she started uh, teaching an institute class, Women in the Scriptures. And she would get me, and we would brainstorm different things and talk through it. And I wasn't teaching then. Um, and And I missed teaching. But we would go through all of them and we even made up. I then went to the University of Utah Institute of Religion and introduced the class there. And we came up with a packet that we did together and with writing their names in Hebrew or Greek. Anyway, we were just geeking, really. And then when I was hired at BYU a year later, um, I made a promise to Margot that someday I would make this into a book. The idea was one small book, you know, that would cover, I mean, but the more you learn, the more you want to learn, the more you find out, oh, this other background helps to kind of just see their world. And so it took me a while. I mean, I decided I was going to do it. I wanted to make sure I would do it as well as I could. And there's still some things now I go back and read and go, oh, I wish I could have tweaked that one right there because of what I've learned. But Anyway, it's because of Margot Butler and my promise I made to her. I'm a huge fan of Margot Butler. I have the pamphlet that you described. She gave it to me when I taught at LDS Business College. And oh, the two of you together, what a powerhouse. I just, 
you knocked it out of the park. Oh my gosh. You did have fun. Yes. And I think we've talked about how now that is actually a course that's being taught at BYU Hawaii and at BYU Idaho. So those of you listening, take the course. You're going to want to learn about women in scripture. So, okay. Well, this is exciting because we have another woman we're going to talk about. And this, this is so fun. And I just have to tell you, this is a cute little story. So a couple of months ago, when we covered this chapter in the Come Follow Me lesson, I am the primary chorister. And so one of the things I do, and I can't help it, I have to teach a story. I have to teach from the scriptures and then we sing songs. So I thought we're going to act out this story because I have a little girl in my primary and her name is Tabitha. And so I said to the kids, okay, I'm going to read a verse of scripture. And if you hear your name, I want you to stand up really fast. So they're all just glued to me. And I go into Acts chapter nine and I read verse 36 and it says, now there was at Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha. And this little girl jumped up so fast. She looked around. She was like, that's my name. And she's nine years old and it was adorable. And I said, Tabitha, come to the front of the classroom. And we acted out this whole story. It was so fantastic. So as we're telling the story, imagine a little nine-year-old girl acting out in every particular this story. And it was so adorable. I love this little girl. And so we're going to dive into a story about Tabitha. And it's interesting because in verse 36, it also says that her name by interpretation is Dorcas, which you just can't read to a bunch of teenagers because they're going to make so much fun of it. But I think what I love is that by interpretation, the name, this was really cool because her name means gazelle or gracious. And one of the things that I thought was really cool to learn is that it was not unusual in the East to give names of beautiful animals to young women. And so it's really kind of an honor to have this name. It's telling us about this Tabitha. She was gracious and lovely and this young deer that's often in artwork. I went back and tried to look up old artwork and was surprised about how many times you see beautiful gazelles or deer. And now I'm wondering, oh my gosh, did that represent women all of these times? So it was really kind of cool. Well, can I just say, yeah, why is her name Dork? You look under Dorcas in the Bible dictionary to find her, not Tabitha. Mm-hmm. I I think that's unfortunate. I I think she would prefer to have her Hebrew name Tabitha. I agree. Can we fix that? But I think there's also here um the idea that she's living in a in a culture in an environment where there are Greek speaking and Hebrew speaking people. It's it's a much more um diverse society than what you would find in Galilee or Jerusalem and that she would go by either of those names depending on maybe what her clientele was or those that she would interface with um that that is also helpful I think for way of background um okay another I'd like to just do one other little piece of background you know how Luke very often when he's teaching a principle will give an example of a man and a woman and that is not that is the case here as well, because right before the story of Tabitha in verse thirty three and thirty four, you get a man, Aeneas, who was sick for eight years, and Peter healed him, mm-hmm. and, and that's there. There's that story as far as the power. 
the power that Peter has been given is the same power that Jesus used to heal um, and bless the people. And he's Luke is giving us examples of that. And that verse 36, there was in Joppa, a certain disciple. The word disciple in this case has a feminine in Greek is in the feminine form. Methetria mm. instead of Methedes. Methedes. And we see disciples all through the New Testament, but it's Methedes, which is men or men and women combined. Mm-hmm. But it is only because of verse 36 and talking about Tabitha that we know specifically that women individually could be called a disciple. And she's not the only female disciple, because what does it say? There was at Japa a certain female disciple opening the door to, you know, there could be multiple Mm -hmm. myriad of a female disciple. So that's one thing about Tabitha right there in that verse 36, that is very insightful for women generally who were considered Christians, that they could be disciples. So when people just make a disciple, a synonym to apostle. Mm-hmm. No, you know, this is a follower here, a, a, a true believer and an actor in the, the gospel. Thank you for pointing that out because I one time heard a scholar teach that when the Savior taught the Beatitudes on the Mount, it said he taught the disciples. This scholar said he only taught the 12 apostles the Beatitudes. No women were there. No other people were there. And that never sat well with me. I thought, what? I think he taught more than just the the 12 apostles. Mm -hmm. And so you just taught me beautifully that the word disciple can mean men and women. So thank you. Yeah. If it's in the masculine, it it could include women. And so you Mm -hmm. cannot say that. And it was, you know, yeah, it's a broader term. Yeah. And Hebrew is the same way. When you speak of that with men, it means men and women, because you always, I learned this, that if you're speaking to a group of a hundred women and there's one man in the group, you have to make it the masculine form. So, yep, this is so good. I'm grateful you pointed that out. But that's what, you know, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this one before. That's why back there in Luke 8, where it talked about certain women and then da, 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 and many others um, also gave of their substance. The others is feminine plural. That tells you specifically they're only talking about a group of women yeah. in, in that verse. And, and so when it's feminine, that does narrow it considerably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're here in Joppa, which is on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, the city of Tel Aviv is built up all around Joppa. Um, anciently, this was the area where Jonah left to go the opposite way rather than go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. So it was a, it was a port city, not a lovely port, but it was a port city um, there along the uh, Mediterranean coast. And we read about Tabitha in verse 36 as a woman who was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Yeah. She went about doing good. Can I say this real quick about uh-huh. verse 36? Because I just recently learned this when it says full of good works. I thought this was interesting. I'd love to know your opinion on this, that they believe that this is Luke's language style, 
that he uses when he tries to explain that someone who possesses in the highest degree of something. So Luke wrote, full of leprosy, full of grace, full of faith, that they possess just the highest degree. And so here he's saying that she is full of good works. That's good. Like not some good works, just the highest degree you could be. So that to me tells a lot about Tabitha. She full of good works. That's amazing. She's a great ministering sister and not just to people that she might be assigned to there. The whole world is those that men and brothers and sisters, men and women that she could minister to. But the problem happens in verse 37, she gets sick and dies. Mm -hmm. And there may be some of these that she has helped in the past that come to wash her body and lay her out on in an upper chamber. What does um, that mean? I mean, this is preparing her for burial. Hmm. And, and um, you know, this is what the women wanted to do with the body of Christ, and, mm-hmm. but they didn't have time or were not allowed to be that close to him right after he was crucified. And so it's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that did that for the body of Christ to begin with. But that this is what typically women would be doing and bringing her to an upper chamber is interesting. And there's, I I don't know, but all the time when you think about upper chambers, you think about a more sacred environment, Mm -hmm. Um, the upper room. Yeah. And, and you almost feel this reverence as she is placed there and and Peter, in the meantime, is over there where we just saw him in verses 33 and 34, where he's helping Aeneas and bringing him back to good health. And now just get this. Tabitha has died. They're preparing her body and they didn't wait long before they buried because they didn't do anything to embalm them. So they'd bury them very quickly. They... Send word to Peter. Now, do you want to talk about faith of the people of Joppa, the saints in Joppa? What are they praying for? What are they asking mm. for? What are they hoping for? Yeah. That they want, they send disciples, and that disciples is a masculine plural. So we don't know. There's at least one man in that, but there are mm-hmm. some disciples that go in verse 38 to find Peter, you know, in nearby. Lydda to come there. And so verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments, which Dorcas or Tabitha had made while she was with them. Um, there, these widows are not hired mourners. Right. These are women who have grown to love and admire and revere Tabitha. Tell us about that idea where you said hired mourners. What does that mean? Well, um, whenever someone died, there were women were in, were essential in society then at the beginning of life and at the end of life. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, the women were the midwives and the help in caring for new babies and advising young mothers in the care of their newborns. And at the end of life, it was women who were um, 
looked to and expected to prepare the bodies for burial and for mourning. And the idea was you would want to have a good showing to show remorse and give a mournful environment um, surrounding the trip to the burial. Mm -hmm. And so women would be hired specifically to be the mourners and they would cry out and show this very loud and public display of mourning to set the stage to say goodbye to uh, someone who had died. But I don't see these widows being like that at all. Well, I'm reminded of the story of Jairus's daughter because she'd already passed away. And doesn't it say that the mourners had already come in and Jesus walks in and he's like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you all crying? I got this kind of a moment. Where and he's telling him to start there, out of the way. Yeah, get out. I got this. I know you've been hired to mourn, but we're not going to be sad right now. So, yeah, like they really were a part of society, these professional mourners. And I'm, I love that you just pointed out in verse 39, we don't see that here, mm-hmm. that they didn't even need to hire professional mourners because so many people gathered to mourn her loss. And this is not a public place. Now, this is the upper room where her body is. Mm-hmm. And I love this in the Greek. That verb showing the coats and garments, I don't think that the suggestion is that is is like showing on themselves. Mm. So the idea is not like they said, look what she made me and you got it all folded up or um, holding it up that you can see. They were most likely wearing the clothes that Tabitha made for them. And they are, I mean, it's, you just think of her love and her care and her resources, time mm-hmm. and material resources to provide that for them. It's right there against their bodies. It's right there against their skin. Um, both the, the coats and garments, which suggest the undershift as well as the outer cloak mm-hmm. that that she made them all for them. And um, and, and you, then when you go back to, you'll love this, you, of course, you've thought this, you go back to the word in Hebrew for atonement, which is a covering, kafar mm-hmm. or kapur. Um, in so many ways, her ministering, her alms deeds, her goodness is is Christ-like. It is charity in the pure sense of the word that she gives them a covering. And with that covering is like the embrace of Christ that, that surrounds them. And, and they feel it. I think they feel Christ's love in the way she ministers to them. And, and in that way, I see uh, Tabitha as, as a type of Christ. Mm -hmm. But there they are. I'll keep going, I guess. The story doesn't end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah keep going. Good, yes. Verse 40, Peter put them all forth. I mean, he did. Uh, wonderful. But now stand aside. This What he is doing is not for big show either. And he's there with the body of Tabitha. He kneels down. So again, we're in Acts 9, verse 40. He kneels down and prays. 
And I wonder, again, when you said, what do they pray? What did he mm-hmm. say exactly? Or does he let the spirit with oh, yeah. fill in with the groanings that he has? But turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And now you notice he calls her definitely by her Hebrew name. Boy, I love that. And it's interesting. It's one letter off. Mm-hmm. From what he said to the little daughter of Jairus that you just said. Yeah. Talitha Kumi. This is Tabitha Kumi. Mm-hmm. It's it's an L and a B. Little girl arise and her name, little gazelle arise. Yeah. But it 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 connects us again. The power that Peter is using is what Christ gave to him. It's the same power. And that He is, Peter is a representative of Jesus Christ. And then still in verse 40, she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And verse 41, he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So, This is, you know, again, you see, what does this experience do? Not only because how well Tabitha was known. And, you know, I have always asked the question, was Tabitha a widow? I mean, we don't know any, we don't have any Mm -mm. other background about her. If she has any other family where she gets her means to do what she does. But she's had an influence on Joppa Mm -hmm. that you would have men and women that would jump to and say, we got to do something like, how do we go on without Tabitha? How beloved she was, what a difference she made. And it wasn't in power and prestige. She made a difference because she loved and she loved unfeigned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was was authentic, truly Christ-like love. And, and so when she is brought back to life, Again, up there in Lydda, Aeneas was brought back to health. He had been sick for so long. But in Tabitha's case, she dies and is brought back to life. It's Mm -hmm. even greater evidence as far as the power that Peter has been given. Well, what I loved about when you were explaining this story that really struck me is going back to verse 39. Because I wrote in the side of my scriptures, what is my ministry? Like, what am I doing? That's Tabitha esque. Um, you know, again, she was full of good works. I'm not full of anything yet. Well, I'm full of plenty, but <laughs> I'm not full of anything that is like, I'd love to be abundantly possessing something that's leading people to Jesus. But when you said, when you connected the coverings to kafar, which is just one of my all time favorite Hebrew words, it struck me because now I've worded in my scriptures, how am I covering people? How mm-hmm. do I kafar? And that changes the way I'm going to minister now. That's and, really good. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm thankful that you brought that up because sometimes we just kind of get caught up in this idea of ministering, but it changes it now. When I'm ministering to people, I am looking for how I can cover them. How can I kafar them? How can I embrace them the way the Savior would? And he would know what they need. And she seemed to know what they needed. They needed coats and garments. And that idea of the garments, the undergarment, what you would wear underneath your outer clothing and how that's so close to your heart. I mean, that's 
it's kind of an intimate thing to make for somebody. And so for her to be able to do that for them and make them coats, I really, really appreciated that you've taught us the word showing, that it meant that they were like, see, like holding the clothes on their body. Look what she did for me. And she made this like that make that made it so real rather because I always imagine them just presenting, look at this nice coat <laughs> for them to be wearing it close to their hearts showed a real connection to Tabitha and just the grief that they were feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered if the only clothes they had were ones that Tabitha made for them. And it wouldn't be surprising if they, because they were widows, Um, they didn't have much anyway. And so to think of what she did for them. So. Well, did you know for a long time in the 20th century, and I should go back and look, if I can find more detail, but I remember finding there were all over, um, not just the United States, but other Christian um, countries, there was a charity called the Dorcas Sewing Society. And it was named, it, it was a, a charitable, a Christian charitable group of women that made clothes for the indigent and mm-hmm. named it after Tabitha, the and I think it was, I think they called it the Dorcas. I don't think it was the Tabitha. It was the Dorcas Sewing Society. So you can Google Dorcas Sewing Society and just. Oh, I'm going to. It's just very fun to see <laughs> that they were inspired to do good and look out to care for others. Women helping the indigent um, and, and remembering Tabitha's example. Wow. I think that's so awesome. That's pretty fun. <laughs> Not only did she cook, like, not only did she sew for them, but she was feeding them in the, in abundance. Like, they really loved her and relied on her. And yet, we just don't know how much, how many resources she had. But, you know, yeah. you get the idea that she is sitting pretty wealthy. But she she's frugal and she's smart and she's... She does incredible things with what little she has. And that's more like us. Yeah, absolutely. And and then let's just end with this verse then, because I think Hebrews chapter six, verses 10 and oh, 11 yeah. mm-hmm. will just really, for any one of you out there who are being covered or who are thinking of ways to cover, or maybe you're covering, we'll all kafar in our own way. I just think that's so cool. You taught us that and connected it to this story. However you're kafaring, however you're trying to help cover or embrace the people the way the Savior would, I appreciated these verses so much this week as I was studying this. Camille, will you read verses 10 and 11? Okay. Hebrews 6, 10 and 11. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Thank you. Well, and and verse 10, when it says, but God is not unrighteous, I prefer the Greek translation unjust. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. I mean, is there a better word to describe ministering than labor of love? (laughs) he's watching it he won't forget it and he didn't forget tabitha's and as a result she was brought back to life for her goodness so i just i love those verses in connection to her story wow 
Camille, thank you. Thank you for telling Tabitha's beautiful story. Oh, and as a result, many believed in the Lord. That's what I want said of us when all is said and done. Our labor of love, many believed. So could there be a greater compliment? Well, and I think that goes without saying, I mean, if we truly are ministering in his name in a way that is pleasing to him, it will bring others to worship him, to trust him, to love him, and then to add their gifts and talents to minister to others. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh let me write that down. This is her story. Tabitha is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Camille, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. What a great discussion. Well, these are fun women. And you know, they're just a few little verses here and there, but look, they're just, they're gold mines, aren't they? They really are. That's why we just have to study their stories. So that was neat. Thank you. Thanks for all your preparation. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Unnamed Women of the New Testament. For your information, the Sunday on Monday study group is a Desert Bookshelf Plus original, and it's brought to you by LDS Living. It's written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak Hall. And today, our brilliant study group participant was Camille Frank Olson. Our podcast is produced by Cole Wissinger and me. It is edited and recorded and mixed by Cole Wissinger. And our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next time. And please remember, all of you Tabithas out there, you are God's favorite. <laughs>